What's going on, coaches? Looks like we're starting up here in, in Oklahoma here in about a week. Some schools are actually already getting to start uh, on the 1st. So uh, a lot of coaches out there, you guys are getting to get back into it. Uh, if we can help you out in any way, please don't hesitate. Hit us up. We've got videos up on our website, which we'll be releasing some new ones, um, some, some clips that we will be, again, going for talking ball. We also had a coach in the dojo uh, here from Oklahoma come through and, and talk, and so we'll be releasing that as well. Uh, some new install video in our RTP Premium install, um, as long as as well as other content. So anything you guys could need from us, uh, it's all over at runthepower.com. If you need to talk to us personally, hit us up on Twitter, uh, shoot us a message on email, uh, coach at runthepower.com. You can obviously also find all of our summits, podcast episodes, everything else over on our website. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces 20 to 33% of the impact, really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh, price for them right now. 40 caps for $2,000 uh, with 10 of them for free, plus 10 free. You get 10 free ones as well. Check them out in our, free show, uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com slash football. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all, we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formation, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Nick Davis. Coach Davis is the DC at Rose Holman Institute of Technology in Terre Haute, Indiana. Listen as we talk with Coach Davis about his spread defensive philosophies, experience coaching both sides of the ball, and how to break down opposing protections and do a thorough self-scout. You can follow Coach Davis on Twitter at Coach Nick Davis. Hope you guys enjoy. school football at Charleston High School in uh, Illinois, a little small school in central Illinois. I then had the chance to go play four years of college football at Monmouth College in uh, Monmouth, Illinois, a Division three school. Uh, we were pretty successful there. Uh, our quarterback, actually, in my last uh, three years, is the third string quarterback for the Giants, Alex Tanney. So uh, he helped us win quite a few games. Uh, kind of unique, unique situation and kind of how I form my philosophy is we go into camp, we were a 4-3 defense, 
And on the fourth day of camp, I think, uh, my freshman year, we scrapped the whole entire 4-3 playbook and went to a 3-4 because we just <laughs> didn't have a three technique. So then kind of over the next four years, we kind of built that we could be multiple and, you know, whether it be 3-4 or 4-3 personnel. So we started doing a bunch of different things at one point, like, the first drive of the game, we'd be all four down. The next drive, we'd go three down once, you know, we felt the offense was making their adjustments. So we were doing some things, I think, maybe ahead of our time, at least in our conference. I then had a chance to do a strength and conditioning internship at Western Illinois and uh, then at the University of Michigan, which was a great experience for me. I actually worked with Denard Robinson. Um, my claim to fame is uh, there was a tackling drill um, that they do in the summer for strength and conditioning. Um, and uh, he pulled it on zone read and I actually touched him. He, he, uh, he claims that I didn't, but uh, that was kind of my claim to fame there. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, hey, you're faster than me, but you know, if I know between the certain, uh, the hash and the numbers and I have leverage, uh, I'm still a defensive guy. Uh, I can touch you. <laughs> yeah, I may not be able to tackle you in a game, but I can, I can two hand touch you. Uh, and then uh, from there, I went on to be a graduate assistant at Ottawa University in Kansas and NAI school. was there for two years. And I, I played D-line at Monmouth. Uh, kind of the best thing that ever happened to me is when I got to Ottawa, they said that we're going to not allow you to coach the defensive line. So that first year I was with our defensive coordinator in the secondary coaching corners, which was a complete uh, 180 um, from what I, you know, had ever learned. And then the next year I kind of got the linebacking core and got to run with those guys. Actually applied for a, a defensive line job at Rose Holman, uh, which is about 45 minutes in Indiana away from my hometown and was one of the finalists. And the running backs coach left around the same time. Coach Stokel gave me a call. He said, you know, we really like you and this other guy. Um, our running backs coach just left. Have you, uh, you know, would you be interested in coaching our running backs? I went on their website, saw that they had an All-American coming back, and I thought I could, I could coach that guy. How, how tough, you know, could coach running backs be? So <laughs> got the job here at Rose, coach running backs, became our special teams coordinator, um, coached, you know, little tight ends for the first three years. Uh, our head coach, Coach Stokel, was a quarterback's coach, our offensive coordinator, Brian White, kind of my mentor coming up, um, was our offensive line coach and just taught me so much about football on the offensive side that I thought if I ever had a chance to go back on defense, um, I could do some really cool things that I think would affect the offense a little bit. And then our, our defensive coordinator left in 2015 and uh, Coach Sokol, I was a laundry guy at the time, came down to the laundry room, kind of impromptu interview of what I'd like to do. Um, us being a small college, we don't have a ton of full-time coaches. So he sat down and talked to me for about 30 minutes about what my vision of what the defense might look like. And he's like, you want to be our defensive coordinator? So uh, that's how I, I went from being the running backs coach um, to the defensive coordinator and kind of a day. And uh, so I've been our D coordinator since 2015. Coach our linebackers for the first two years. Um, coached our defensive backs, um, the, or excuse me, our linebackers the first three years, and then our defensive backs the last two years, and then moving back to linebackers um, for this next season. So that's kind of been my journey. Uh, crazy one that was kind of unexpected. And I always wanted to be a defensive line coach, and that's the one position I've never coached. 
<laughs> well, that's, I was going to say, that's kind of crazy. Not crazy. It's, it's awesome that uh, you've coached, you know, almost every single position over on the defense. Um, it has that, I, I don't know how to frame this. It is, do you think that's kind of like a must for a defensive coordinator or uh, is it a huge advantage for a defensive coordinator to um, have gone through and coached specifically, uh, you know, a bunch of different positions on the defense? No, yeah, I definitely think um, the fact that I had the knowledge set of playing defensive line and understand the game there, then as a graduate assistant, I'm kind of understanding all the coverage aspects. And then you go to linebacker, and honestly, linebackers, you kind of have to know everything. You have to know the fronts, the movements, and the coverage. So I think that it helped. And then you have that aspect of that you coached offensive football for three years. And, uh, you know, me just being the running backs coach, I understood our whole offensive line play because at the time, being a running backs coach in Division Three, there's not a ton of full-time coaching jobs for running backs. So I'm trying to get a full-time offensive line job or a full-time wide receivers job. So I kind of learned everything on the offensive side of the ball um, to coach other than really quarterbacks. So I was kind of going that direction when the opportunity came at Rose to go to the other side of the ball. But uh, I think that's definitely helped me to kind of be I see the whole picture uh, when we're breaking down film and I see that there's a comeback on one side and a, a vertical on the other, and you get a bender on one side and you get a dig. I, you know, our, our GAs think that's four different routes. I say, no, that's just four vertical. Everyone's, you know, reacting to their read and the GA looks at me like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. So, so that, I love that, and so I'm, I've been curious about this, and, and I, I never really found out a good way to ask it, so maybe I'm getting a little better with it. But uh, So when you're looking at uh, defending a certain team and, and you're seeing them on film, are, are you looking at first how do we stop the run and then put coverages behind that? Are you looking at how do we cover you know, the, the secondary up and then add enough hats to the box? Uh, how does that process go – uh, in your head, because as as a run game guy, um, I, I'm trying to always get in the mind of a defensive guy, but I've never really gotten to ask many defensive guys. I just always look at it as how do they put as many guys in the box and then they've got to have at least one guy over each receiver, which is, uh, you know, elementary way I'm sure to think of it. But what's your thought process going in when you're when you're trying to, um, you know, game plan for a week? Yeah, so. Really, so when I was on offense, our week started with we watched the pass pro because um, everything offensively started for how were we going to protect the quarterback on our pass game. Our run game, we were going to be an inside zone team. Uh, we were going to run RPOs. Um, but it was essentially how could we protect the quarterback if we could drop back. We knew we'd be able to get three or four yards, obviously, on every run and then maybe hit some home runs. But we didn't want, we wanted to limit the negative plays. So we were very good about that. We were looking, where does the defense pressure? Field, boundary, um, do they have a guy? So go flipping on the defensive side of things, that's kind of how I start is I want to – my first thing I look at is how much havoc can I create on offense, an O-line coach especially, and maybe that quarterback. So everything there kind of starts for us. We try to figure out what matchups are best? Who is their weak link? Is, is it a guard? Is it a tackle? Is it a center? Is it a tight end? And then who are our best guys? How in our fronts and our structure um, can we get those guys? We have about 85 different fronts we can get into. We can set um, 
really in a, any of our good players or bad players in a certain matchup. Um, so it's pretty easy for us to get to that. Now I have a bunch of 30 ACT uh, engineer kids, so they're super smart. But that's kind of how we start. Once I kind of figure out kind of our blitz paths and what fronts and what movements I like for the week, then we'll go in and look at the, you know, the actual plays. Uh, are they a zone team? Are they a, a gap scheme team? Are they drop back quick game? And then uh, what I've kind of looked at mostly this year is what have we been really good at in the last five years against drop back scheme, against zone, against gap. So that kind of going into that week, I have a prepared maybe five to 10 calls that have always been good against drop back pass for us. So when I, start that week, I've eliminated maybe that thought process of I'm getting burnt out. Hey, what do you guys like here? I have 40 calls kind of to start that week that have traditionally been good against everything that offense is going to run against us. So that's something that has been my big offseason project. But that's kind of where we start is how much mayhem can we create? Coach, you think about, you know, when, you, when you're kind of scouting another team's uh, offense, you know, how do you kind of go about looking at, you know, personnel? How do you, how do you rank guys like, oh, this guy's an all-conference player, or this guy's a great player, and, you know, and you, and you said you want to attack some of those, quote, weakest links. How, how do you guys go about doing that? Is that something you do as a staff, or is that something you break yep. up and then kind of bring it together? So, um, essentially, our DB guy kind of looks at all the wide receivers. He's going to write down all the wide receiver routes. Uh, we play a lot of uh, cover one, match cover one coverage. So for us, it's very important to know, um, obviously, what routes they're going to run against press, because sometimes we'll see only teams play off man or covered or league or quarters, off quarters. So we want to make sure that we broke down every press route. We're going to break down every route. But uh, I think for defensive backs, it's important that when you're playing man, they don't necessarily need to know the whole scheme. They need to know what boundary one and boundary two, what routes those guys run and what field one and what field two. So our DB guy does that. And then he's looking for obviously the stud. Uh, at one point in our league, we had this kid that had a ton of receptions, but I didn't think he was the best receiver. So if you're just looking at the stats, you're thinking, hey, we got to double team this kid. Um, but he wasn't the best on film. So we wanted to put our best DB um, against the kid we thought was the best, not necessarily the kid that caught all the passes. Um, so that's where we look there. Um, our D-line coach is going to look run game. Is there a tendency, obviously, if they're a, a gap scheme team, is their guard deep? Um, does that indicate he's going to pull? Um, are they a zone team? Are their splits giving away, you know, whether it's inside zone and their combos? Um, does the, the wing, the Y off guy, does his eyes give stuff away? Do the O-lineman's eyes give things away? So those are things that he's looking at. And then I look at the pass protection. And within that, I'm looking actually scheme, six-man, five-man. And then kind of from there, who is the weak link? Um, can I find a tendency on their man-slide team if they're a half-slide protection um, is it field boundaries at right, left? Is it to a three technique, to a two eye? Is it always to the tailback? So those are things that I look at during the week um, in my preparation. Is and then we kind of come together and then kind of just say, hey, what did everyone learn? Coaches, is, is that something that you're trying to um, 
and I'm sure it'll, it'll change. I don't want to give you everything away for, uh, of yours, but is that something that if you can find that's a man slide side, you're trying to put pressure on the man side, uh, trying to make the, the running back uh, pick up those blitzes or, or what's your kind of go-to if you can, maybe not specific blitz, but what's your thought process if you can pick um, the, the man side as opposed to the zone side? Yep. So um, we're kind of going to go in and we're going to look for uh, 60 over 60% tendency. Um, so kind of everything we start with is right, left is the man side to the right or left. If that's a 50% tendency, um, we're going to move on to the next category. Um, are they a go always go to a, in a four down the man side, always to the three or the shade or the two eye. Um, if th there was no tendency there, um, then we're going to look, um, maybe is it field boundary? Um, uh, and, Bing, you know, bingo, maybe that was the tendency that they're a 75% field um, man side. So then we obviously would like to bring field pressures. Uh, but I'm looking for that highest tendency. Um, if it's like 80%, I feel really good about it. If it's 70%, I feel really good about it. If it's 50%, well, then maybe we want to be a balanced blitz team that week because I don't necessarily know the man side. Now, what I like to do is if I'm attacking and I think your man side is to the right, I like some sort of obviously man blitz feeder to the right, but I also like to stunt away from it. So if I guess wrong, then I feel like my stunts also pretty good against what would be the new man side that we originally thought was the slide mm, side. But then you. I also like stunts that are good against the slide as well. Cause I think some people think, Oh, it's the slide, you know, that why try to you know fight your teeth into the slide um i want to try to attack the man but i also want something in case i'm wrong because the offensive guys are getting paid to you know fool me um change their tendencies and that's something that we've been really good that i initially thought we were attacking the man side but because we had something on the back side which was a stunt that isn't too expensive in our scheme that oh when that became the man side then we had a home run over there Coach, what, how many different, you know, uh, knowing you're breaking that stuff down, how many, you know, different columns do you have then for protection? So do you, when you guys put a protection in, is it, you know, one or two words? Or do you guys have two, three columns where you're saying this was to yeah, the strength, so. this was to the field, this was to the field? That, that, to me, that interests me because I, I, I do that as part of our self-scout. I'm just interested, interested to hear how you guys kind of do it. Yep. So what I'll do is the, fir the first column is going to be the number of people in the protection. So – if it is a six man pro, um, it'll be start with a six. And then I'll put what side the running back went to, which, which side the man side is going to be. So um, even numbers for us is going to be to the right. Odd numbers are going to be the left. So 60 pro would be a uh, six man pro slide to the left, man side to the right. And then 61 would be the opposite of that. If they go full slide, then we'll go like 68 or 69. If there's something different, like maybe it's a boot action, I might go 61 and then tag a B. So that's kind of how I go through five-man pro, seven-man pro. It might be 79, which would be everyone is sliding to the right, and then my tailback and, you know, maybe the tight ends off to the left. So, you know, a shot protection and a lot of people. So that's kind of how we'll initially do the first column. Uh, my second column is going to be just simply – was the man side to the field, I'll put F, or was the man side to the boundary, I'll put B. The next column I'll look at is, was the man side to the three technique, 
or was it to the two I? And I'll just simply put T or N for nose. And then if it was three down, I'll put three down. I'll put, if it was five down, I'll put 5D. If it was six down, I'll put 6D. So then I can go back at the end of that and I can look. Um, we're really one of the only three down teams in our league. And we're probably one of the only teams that get into five and six down fronts pretty often. So I want to make sure I look at every five down front and every six down front. And then I want to go back and I want to watch every three down front and see kind of what their protection are. Are they big on big? Are they still going to slide it and have the tailback take my fourth rushing linebacker? So those are things that I look at um, there. Then we'll look at is the protection to the tailback or is it away from the pit tailback? So those are kind of my big ones. If I don't have a tendency there, I'll look at, is it tied into a formation? Like is the man side um, always to a single receiver or a trips? Is it to a tight end, to a wing? Um, generally, we don't have to go that far. After one of those four, I'm gonna have my huge tendency. Um, so then it's kind of what I've also learned is a lot of times the protection's tied into the coordinator. If the coordinator is an offensive line coach, he's probably not going to have the best, the tailback in the best position for his route. Um, if it's a check route, if it's the, the, you know, if the coordinator is a quarterback's coach or a receiver's guy, well, that running back might have a lot of opposite protection um, where he's going to get out on a, a check swing pretty quickly. It's what's best for the pass concept. So those are things like, that have helped me, you know, and, and being an offensive guy, I know, like, our O-line coach wanted to make sure that the quarterback didn't have any pressure. Um, and I've been around the, the receivers coach because they're like, oh, yeah, let's just get an empty and let's run and drop back all day. Well, how are we going to block that consistently? You know, those were always things that were brought up in our meetings when I was an offensive coach. I, I've noticed, um, or I did a few years ago, and I, and I haven't noticed it as much, but um, it, a lot of times when when – offensive lines get that like five across like you're talking that five down um you'll see a lot of them go uh man you know so man across yep. the board um and and I you start I started watching a bunch of these NFL teams and they go wide threes wide fives and they bring their most athletic guy and put them over the center and and you know now it's only a five man pressure you know basically but they're letting their their best athlete go against uh, normally not your best athlete at center and and kind of giving him um, a bunch of space in there with playing those wide threes. I always thought that that was, that was kind of my first um, insight into defenses. It, it sounds stupid, but this is, that was my first insight into defenses scheming up how you're going to, you know, protect or block different um, fronts and kind of realizing that, that you probably need to have a lot of different answers if, if you've only got one. Um, they're going to really try to exploit that, especially if you throw it very often. You know, yeah, and we'll find, you know, you think you'll go into a game. We went into a game where we went five across the board and uh, it was empty and we were bringing our will guy in the A-gap and we thought they would squeeze, and but they didn't. And they let our, you know, our will down the A-gap because they went big on big. And I, I don't think they had a way in their system, too, because they did it three straight times. So we were able to get our will after the quarterback three times in a row. Um, <laughs> That's nice. I'm sure they figured that out after the game, like, hey, we need something in our system to be able to slide this and cut the C-gap defender at least away. So those are things that sometimes I'll outthink myself as well, like, oh, 
do we need to get in bear and bring a guy in the A-gap? They'll just squeeze it um, or um, full slide and cut a guy loose. But sometimes they don't. Coach, how much with those, you know, 30 ACT engineer kids, how much do you feel comfortable putting on on those kids while they're out on the field, giving them a big, you know, maybe a big menu, but but letting them, um, you know, try to decipher and, and make adjustments while they're out there? Is that something that you try to give them um, a little bit more than than maybe most kids, or is that something that um, that you try to since you, you know, since you're the one studying it more than them, that you try to uh, make those calls a little bit more um, on on game nights. No, I mean we we have some really smart kids, but they're not necessarily the smartest football players um, in the world. Um, we try to make our scheme really simple. We practice only an hour and forty five minutes during the season, just because our kids' schedules are so ridiculous. With they they have class until five o'clock. They do four hours of homework generally a night, if not more. So we try to make football as simple for them as possible. But we'll get in some things where I'll say, hey, linebacker, uh, I'm going to you call it. Because we'll see teams, you know, the big craze for a few years ago was um, 11 personnel teams where that Y is all over the place. So we would have situations where if that Y was extended in a 10 personnel formation, we would get in our stack and run different movements. And when that guy was attached, we wanted to be four down and have certain calls. So we relied on our linebackers to kind of make me right. Um, there's some things in our coverage um, because we play a lot of cover one where um, with certain splits, my linebackers will check out of that coverage to a better friendly um, mesh coverage, um, either if it's in within the cover one family or within a cover three family or if we need to go to quarters. So there's some things that they can help me out on game day, but we try to make it simple where they can just play fast at the end of the day. Coach, man, I, I hear cover one and immediately now it's, it seemed like it's, it's turned into the, the slot fade competition, you know, with, with every offensive coordinator in America, when they see cover one, what are some things that you're doing to kind of combat, you know, the, the slot fade and, and you know, kind of one of the info, I think, you know, cover one checks that a lot of guys have gone to. Yeah, no, we got torched on it um, two years ago um, in a game. And it was, really for us, it was just the matchup. So one, one thing that we went into this season was um, we kind of have more matchups. We're, being, we're in Indiana, so basketball is huge in Indiana. It's king. So we try to play basketball out there. So I always want my best defender on their best receiver. Um, and then I want my best slot defender always on their best slot receiver, no matter where that guy goes. Because um, teams were getting us in situations where they get two by two, put their best slot in the boundary, and they would do the slot fade against our second best slot defender, who was our boundary safety. So I just made it to rule where that nickel for us travels around with the best skill slot, and um, our rover will handle the 11 personnel tight end, or if it's 10 personnel, he handles kind of that second best slot. So that's one thing from a cover one standpoint, just getting your best players in those areas. The other adjustment we need to make was we just need to play more cover three um, to those formations because whether we were cover one or cover three, we looked the same um, pre-snap. And then we got a little, we got into some more quarters coverage actually to help us but for us 
pre-snap, we're either going to look like we're playing cover one um, and we'll rotate on the snap to a different coverage, or we're going to look like we're too high and we're going to play two high coverages or we'll play cover one. But uh, for me, it just, I tried to find those situations we were going to get the slot fade um, and then try it to get us in the best call. But for us, it was really just my slot defenders need to be more patient. Um, and we, we, we'd done the Rip Liz match and some of those things, but no, it's a tough play. We practice against slants because of our outside leverage. Slants and slot fades and corners really more than any route um, in the business because when you're a cover one team, the slot routes, none of those other routes are really scary to me. We're going to have help inside. So we need to guard the, the corner and the slot fade, and we need to guard the slant, especially on RPO because our linebackers are going to get out of those windows. So uh, those are things that we're practicing constantly every day. Is that something, too, then, when you talk about your nickels? I mean, it sounds like, you know, a couple of years ago you maybe you found some things out. How did you kind of, you know, adapt maybe the, the type of kid that you were trying to recruit there? You know, is, is it more where I, I, was, I was recruiting really, really good, you know, corners and I just moved them inside? Or was that something where I'm finding, you know, great athletes and I'm going to make him kind of a hybrid, you know, play on the hash, play man, blitz you off the edge every now and again? You know, what was kind of your thought process on finding those type of kids? Yeah, no, we, we were the best kid we ever had. Kevin Nowak was a, um, a high school a safety, but then he played corner. He was kind of our guy. Um, we had the best quarterback in school history, and then we had this backup kid that we moved the defense, and he became an All-American corner for us too. So we kind of lucked in this corner situation. Um, during the same year, we had a receiver who couldn't catch that we moved the defense. So I had probably the best three corners in the conference. So – those years, really, slot fade wasn't a big deal for us because we had three cats that could guard. Um, I've learned that you're not always going to have those kids. But for me, the boundary corner has got to be our best dude. Um, if you're playing a good quarterback, the field corner also has to be really good. But I think the, um, the dude slot needs to be your second best guy if you're not facing a great quarterback. Um, if you're facing a great quarterback, you need two dudes on the outside you definitely need one dude on the inside and if they have a fourth good receiver you know you just got to pray sometimes but uh <laughs> that's where we've gone kind of our least athletic defensive back as our post safety um in terms of measurables uh but that kid's been an all-conference kid for us because he just gets to roam and play the quarterback's eyes and that kid's had a lot of interceptions for us over the last few years Coach, I, th I think you might have just brought a tear to, to Coach Walls' eye. He loves hearing uh, about backup quarterbacks or quarterbacks in high school coming and being athletes and, and excelling at other positions. Uh, that, no. he, he's been talking about that for, for a few years now and, and how many it seems like there are out there. No, that's the best kids, man. Um, and, and it breaks my heart sometimes. There's these really athletic Texas high school quarterbacks that are at these huge – Texas schools where the, the starters, the D1 kid, and that kid wants to hang it up because he was the backup. And I'm like, man, you'd be my starting safety next year, man. Just come give it a try. Yeah, and those kids, not only that, I mean, they, they just know so much football. I mean, you talk about you being a coach on the offensive side and then being able to now apply that to the defense. Those are the same guys you have on your side. It's like, well, hey, man, you, you, know, you know how they're attacking this. You know what they're trying to do. You know where the ball should be. It just seems like those guys through football awareness, you know, they're one step ahead of the game and they make a lot more plays simply because of that fact. Yeah, we, we definitely had some rules where 
um, Alec Thompson was the kid's name. It was the quarterback was, uh, he was allowed in man coverage to look back at the QB because uh, he had like eight interceptions doing that. And the rest of the defensive backs were not allowed to. Um, and I said, Alec, long as it doesn't cost us and it never did. Um, so there would be things where we would be playing um, coverages where he'd get outside released on a fade and he'd go pick off the quick out. I'm like, that's a great play. And we would skip forward that really quickly the next day during film session. <laughs> <laughs> no young guys watch this, but great job. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I love that. But, but I mean, I think that uh, a bunch of that comes down to being, um, I don't know if humble is the right word, but being a smart enough maybe coach to, to let your, your guys be guys and not try to um, hamstring them up by doing every little thing perfect if what they're doing uh, is working. Yeah, no, if he's saying, hey, coach, because I got outside released, I – Stuck my eyes back real quick. I saw that, you know, the quarterback's hand off the ball. I played quarterback. I know that look. I knew it was coming out. Yeah, great play, man. <laughs> I remember I remember going to, like, clinics, you know, and there would be defensive coaches, and a couple of them are defensive line coaches, and it's hilarious because they, hey, you know, don't watch 56 here. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of the stuff that they do. And then, you know, as I watch the tape, like, 56 is making every single play. You know, I'm kind of just laughing, and I'm like, hey, man, you know, Part of, part of coaching is just letting the good players just go make plays and then, you know, taking then the, the maybe mediocre guys or the guys that are pretty good and, and helping them get to it. But the other guys, let them go. Let them make their plays. Yeah, no, they make you look like really good coaches sometimes. So, so Coach, as a defensive guy, and, and let's say you're going to build your new, and it's, this is a stupid question, but <laughs> I still want to ask it. Um, so you're building your, your, your new defense. You have no kids on your team, but you get fantasy draft. You get to draft one guy, and you don't have to say an actual guy, but what, what position are, are you starting with on the defensive side? Are you getting that, that lockdown corner? Are you going for the, the, the bad dude at Mike? Or are you going the, the J.J. Watt or Aaron Donald type guy? What's your – uh, what do you think that first guy would be, um, not person-wise, but just personnel-wise? What, yeah. what would you be looking at? That's tough. I mean, for me, it's, it, there's, there's two positions. I definitely need a dude locked down um, corner, and I definitely want a pass-rushing guy that can change the game. If I got the number one pick, I'm probably taking the pass-rushing guy that can change the game because I think you can do stuff on the secondary side that – um, you could help and hide a kid, um, but I think you can highlight the crap out of a, a pass rushing kid and a kid that can get after the you know the running back and, and defeat blocks. Um, I think that guy is, is hard to stop, and uh, especially with our system, is I can get that guy anywhere on the in the in the box to create hmm. havoc. Well, and then I, I would assume it goes back to kind of like you said, it probably makes it a little bit easier to find the man and, and slide side if you've got the one dude because um, uh, if they're, you know, unless they've got a, a bunch of crazy different things to do, they're, they're probably their first thought is going to be to slide to your best player to, to make sure that they help the offensive line on that side. And so now you kind of have an idea of, of uh, at least possibly where they're going to be sliding their protections. And, and that's interesting you say that because um, every year I've been the defensive coordinator, we've had a, a junior or um, – yeah, junior leader team in sacks coming back for his senior year and another kid on the team beat that kid out in terms of most sacks on the team. So 
I do think there's something interesting to that because we've always had like a first team all conference, either a linebacker that's been a rush guy for us or a defense lineman. Uh, we had a kid that led the nation in sacks as a junior, came back as a senior and didn't lead our team in sacks just because he kind of got a lot of slide attention and it was hard for him um, to, you know, get the sacks he was getting the year before. Uh, but he was getting sacks the year before because we had a linebacker who was a stud and he was getting a lot of slide to him. And so Mike was taking advantage of it. So it is very interesting, um, which in my mind, the kid that led the nation in sacks, he was a very good football player. Um, but he wasn't our best pass rusher. So it was kind of cool that year um, that he came back as a senior um, because I felt we had better pass rushers on our team. And I'm sure that would help um, tremendously in recruiting as well. I mean, you can, if you can go and, and show all these young kids, look, um, you can, and we can have, we just with how we set everything up and, and how we're smart with our players, we can get you, uh, if you're a guy that wants to go tackle the quarterback, we can, we can set that up and we've had plenty of different guys lead the team and, and uh, sack a, a lot of quarterbacks. No, it really helps us this year. We had 19 kids get a sack um, in all three levels. Um, we had a corner and got a sack. It actually wasn't a corner blitz or it was a safety, excuse me. It wasn't a safety blitz. His tight head blocked for a second and he triggered and then the tight end leaked out on a route. So that was another time during film. I was like, hey, that's a great play, but your guy is running to the flat wide open right now. Um, <laughs> but it's good for stats to say everyone within our, our uh, three levels got a sack, I guess. Well, like, like Walls always says, uh, if we ever let anyone go up front and, and they don't make the tackle, he just always said, we don't block the people that can't, that can't tackle. You guys don't, don't cover the guys that can't catch. <laughs> and I think that's the important thing in our program is we teach everyone how to rush. I think that's important, especially being 3-3 personnel most years, is I need my linebacker to know how to beat the guard and the tackle. Some, I think some people just say, hey, you're blitzing the B gap, and they don't give that kid a lot of options. That linebacker for us goes to pass rush with, against the offensive lineman. He's not just doing pass rush against the running back. He's going on to one-on-one, -on -one, going against the tackle. Um, he's going like two yards in front of the guard um, in pass rush. So we try to make that kid as good as possible at rushing the quarterback. So we spend a lot of time with it, and it's paid off. We've had, I think, 112 sacks from our D linemen in five years and 57 from our linebackers. Coach, have you found, I know a lot of teams, you know, if you play a lot of man press and, and the head's turned and things like that, you know, have you, have you seen, you know, maybe not as many picks as you, as you would think, or have you seen more knowing that teams think we're going to play a lot of cover one? And it's like you said, we have our built-in change-ups and we play cover three and now we bail and we, you know, we, we see them throw their fade check and we see the ball thrown and, and we pick that off. You know, how has that kind of worked out for you guys being a, a man team? Have you guys seen, you know, yeah. a ton of havoc, a ton of picks? No, I'm surprised the amount of interceptions we've had. Like, um, there's 250 teams in Division Three, and, and generally we'll be anywhere ranked from 20th to 40th in the nation in interceptions, which I think that's pretty good for being a man team most of the time. I'm amazed people still throw it inside the hashes against us as much cover one. I think our free safety this year had eight or nine interceptions all inside the hash. Um, all in really, I think all of our cover one um, coverages. So uh, we're not getting as many picks with those man defenders, but with our, our one match, our linebackers are able to get underneath some things and make some, you know, quarterbacks throw some tough balls where maybe the overhang defender 
think and react. Um, we've had some tip balls that have gone for interceptions, but I'm definitely amazed the number of interceptions we get. But I think it's because we're, we're getting a nice rush on the quarterback that he's throwing that 50-50 ball, and, and our kids are, you know, making some good plays sometimes too. Coach, bringing you back to the offensive side, uh, which is obviously uh, my favorite is offense, but um, and it's going to sound bad maybe to to some of of the guys uh, sound bad initially. And I know there are great running back coaches, and um, and I don't want it to sound bad. And we've had great running back coaches on, but um, I think there's at sometimes the thought that the running back coach is kind of the the extra guy or the guy that maybe is really really good at recruiting, but you kind of have to have him a position, and he goes a tailback. Uh, and there are some really good tailback coaches out there, but like you said, even at certain levels, there's not going to be many teams that have a tailback coach um, that's a full-time guy. What were you, What did you try to do um, as a running back coach to kind of make yourself valuable um, or the most valuable as possible at that position with, with your guys? Yeah, no, definitely. I – I wanted to learn as much about our offense as possible. Um, so just really hanging out with our offensive coordinator, Brian White, at the time. Um, he was a mentor to me because he wanted to teach me offensive line play. We even snuck into a, an O-line, D-line uh, camp where I had to say I was the tight ends coach because if they knew I was the running backs coach, they probably wouldn't have let me coach at the camp. Like that's how hardcore O-line, D-line it was. Uh, I went to the University of Illinois and did a O-line, D-line camp, and I was coaching the offensive line. So I think that perspective of learning how to block as an offensive lineman helped me with running back. But I think the fact that I just didn't know anything really about offense. So I was just that fly in the wall that's learning about how people do throw, you know, the receivers do the throw by, learning about the quarterback's read. It was all interesting to me because I knew nothing really about offense. So during all these meetings that we were together, I was just soaking up all this information and then kind of writing notes on the side of, if I'm ever on defense, this is what I'd like to do. So I think that was the most valuable thing I did was try to learn the rest of the offense and um, go from there, um, which I think is a unique thing. And then try to get involved in the tight ends. Uh, you know, try to get drills where the, the wide receiver coach gives me the tight end and, and do different things like that. So. I think that was important, and I think my knowledge of the game of defense helped me get the position because they loved me breaking down film because I'm sitting there watching these defenses, and I'm like, oh, yep, this is this coverage. This is why they did that. Love it. I think, and I think, too, especially at the college level, you talk about, you know, protections. If you don't have a running back that, that can get involved in protections, and, and that was my, my first experience of with it, you know, in-depth was at Tulsa. You know, Coach Coach Wiggins, who's now the the receiver coach at a pretty good place, University of Alabama. <laughs> um, he had he had a really really good rapport with those guys, and and made sure that those guys. I mean, they 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 picked up ridiculous blitzes, and I and I thought it was super cool to see, you know, that crew really take you know pride in 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 shutting down blitzes, knocking down blitzes, and then you know when when teams were going to be a little bit shorthanded in the secondary we were able to make huge plays and those guys took a lot of pride in it. No, it was pretty cool. We had like a WWE title belt um, before everyone was doing like the takeaway chains and different things. So we were getting that if, if we let our conference and fewest sacks given up. So like the running backs took great pride in that as well. So 
we always thought that was cool that we were, you know, at least part of the protection that helped us, um, you know, give up the fewest amount of sacks in our league. And I think probably out of the nine years we've been here, probably we've given up the fewest sacks in our league six times. So that's something definitely like the kids take great pride of, and especially running backs. Like they feel like they are a part of that. Just like um, they want the offensive line to feel like they're a part of their hundred yard rushing games. That was the cool thing too. I thought, and with them like that, that was the first thing that those guys wanted to watch was like, Hey coach, you got the blitz tape built yet. You know, and I, and I always kind of ask them a couple times, like, you know, Hey, is, is it, you want to see, you know, what are some of their run blitzes? Like, no, I want to know what I'm picking up in the past game this week. So, I mean, to me, again, that, that just said a lot about the guys. I'm like, man, these guys can be good players just because that's the first thing they want to take a look at. It wasn't like, hey, can we, can we crush these guys and rush for a lot of yards? It's almost like, hey, we know we're going to rush for a lot of yards. I want to be able to handle these dudes in the, in the pass protection and blitz game too. So I thought that was cool. No, it's, uh, it's always good if the running backs and the receivers are all in on just being efficient and moving the chains because good things happen if you're efficient three, four, five, six times in a row. Coach, being a DC and and coming from uh, you know coaching all these different positions, coaching on the offensive side, and seeing how big of a benefit that is when you are when you know, and I'm not sure if you guys have gone through it yet, but if you're looking to hire on a, a defensive guy and, and you've got a position open because uh, one of your guys took a DC job somewhere else or, or whatever the case may be, um, is is them having experience at other positions or on the offense, is that something that you ask or look for? Uh, or is that just kind of a bonus that if you like the guy and he's a good coach and then uh, he has those sort of things, that, that it's just a bonus for him? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I have a soft spot for a kid that, you know, maybe an offensive coach um, that wants to come coach defense just because that was kind of my um, – way to get a full-time job that was kind of my niche uh, my first thing after being a GA so I definitely have that um our uh, our current DB coach actually coached wide receivers for the first three years here on campus and uh coach Toka wanted to shake some or shake some things up and I was like yeah I'll take this kid you know I know what he is um I would rather take him than a pile of 75 resumes that I don't know because I know what I'm getting from him and uh but, yeah, no, things that I look for is is the kid, you know, and you can't always tell on a resume, but I want the kid that's going to be a hard worker that um, hopefully he's smart because um, I can teach a hardworking kid that's smart really anything. And sometimes a blank slate is better than someone that has going to do things completely different than what you want done. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. With our DB coach right now, he's a completely blank slate. So he's bringing fresh new ideas. Um, to the table, um, which I like. I think, too, having, having that guy, at least what I think I helped Walls with, I came in and, and I was an offensive line guy, but um, I was, you know, spread air raid, no huddle in college. And, and, and then I came to the high school at Broken Arrow when Walls was there as the OC, and we were, you know, a 21 personnel team. So um, I was fairly a, a blank slate. And I think one thing that, that Walls would say that probably helped him me coming in being a blank slate is is you know he kind of had to re-sharpen his tool at times with with teaching and and could maybe uh, you know could tell that I was a semi-smart guy so if certain things didn't make sense to me maybe he could re-sharpen and re-co you know I think coaches at times can fall into getting used to 
knowing what they know and forgetting what other people don't know. And so when you bring one of those guys in, they kind of see, what is this? Can you re-explain this? And, and maybe they've got to come up with a new, new way to, to say it. And that helps them coaching. Or since that guy is a blank slate, he said, you know, he, he draws a, a comparison to something else and, and that makes a lot of sense. And so um, I, I think that that can be beneficial as well. Um, you know, kind of, going back and, and seeing, okay, well, you know, what do we maybe need to clean up and, and help our guys out with? No, I definitely think that's so true. Um, even with like recruiting in college, there's times that I'll be like, okay, yeah, I've done that before, but I did that for the last class. Like that information isn't, you know, available for that next 2021 class. So I got to continue. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm doing the same things over and over again that we're the best engineering school in the world, but that next class doesn't know about it. So I gotta, you know, I can use that same teaching model I used to and kind of refresh my skills in terms of recruiting, but you're definitely true. Like there's things that if I were to go clinic on our match one coverage, because I've taught it for five years now, I bet I wouldn't be as detailed as what I would have been that first season with those kids, um, just because it was all new to me, it was new to them. And then you get kids in the program that are there for three and four years. And especially my kids, they memorize it all. So it's like, yep, what's new, Coach Davis? Oh, nothing's new. Okay, this is, you know, this is Milford coverage. This is how it's ran. They, they can tell me all the rules. Coach, talk a little bit about your school and, you know, your guys' reputation as, uh, as engineers and, and how you kind of use that to, to your guys' advantage on the recruiting trail. Yeah, so uh, we've been rated the number one undergraduate engineering school um, for the last uh, 21 years um, by USA World Report. Um, and what that really means is it's, it's not a someone's going to every school. Um, it's a survey of all the different schools in the nation. And the schools are essentially saying, hey, Rose Holman does it better than anyone at the undergraduate level. Are we a better engineering school than MIT? Um, no, MIT is a great research-based engineering school, but our kids are all getting taught by um, professors with doctoral degrees, and we don't have teaching assistants, and our classroom size is small. So that's one big advantage that we use for us in recruiting, that we can recruit kids nationally. We ha we've had kids from 39 different states over the last uh, nine years on our roster. So we're able to recruit nationally. We're able to get a kid from California. Because at the end of the day, if that kid can't go to Stanford, that three technique that's 290 pounds can't go to Stanford and play um, for them as a mechanical engineer, there's not a lot of places in the country where that kid can get an elite degree and play college football. Coach, so I'm curious, um, you know, obviously um, a kid that, that's an engineer um, at I just remember the, the few kids, and I didn't know many of them because I wasn't in this class of, of human being, but I knew the couple of engineers that I'd heard of, obviously, um, it, it sounds like they, they you know, practiced engineering, uh, for lack of a better term, um, about as much as we practiced football and had workouts. So how do you guys, with such a, a, a stressful uh, major, how do you guys uh, work around and work with your guys so – you can have a great football team and a great football program, but also they can graduate and they can do well at such a, um, a difficult uh, major. Yeah, I think what a lot of people think would be the most negative thing has kind of been our biggest positive. Uh, 
because everyone on our team is an engineer or computer science computer scientists I believe we're the only country or the school in the country that everyone on the roster um, is in that situation there's other schools that are, are elite engineering schools but they got some business kids uh, we, we don't have that degree so we don't have those kids um, so we can't meet with our kids until after 450 so we have to be as efficient as possible we're not showing every play from practice but we're showing the plays that you know really matter um, we have about a 45-minute meeting. We go out and practice for an hour and 45 minutes. And then once practice is over, we're kind of done with that kid until the next day's meeting um, because that kid's going to have, you know, three, four hours of homework. So we try to give the kids as much time as possible so they can be as efficient um, as. And I think kind of the biggest strength for us is all of our kids knew what they were signing up for, that they were coming to a really hard engineering school and that it was going to be worth it in four years. We've had kids make over $100,000 at Google and um, ExxonMobil um, and have huge signing bonuses. And most of our seniors have jobs by, um, you know, February of their senior year. Some of them get jobs in August and September. So I think that's been really positive that those kids are super driven and uh, they want to be as good on the field as what they want to be, you know, off the field in the classroom. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. So that, that would be a tremendous help if, if every, you know, football player that you're playing with and, and becomes a brotherhood, really, um, they're also in the same program. I mean, talk about a huge support system. Yeah, no, it's – so some people have kind of said it, you know, and this has been from someone from, like, that was at the Naval Academy. He's like, this is kind of like the Naval Academy, but not everyone's got their head shaved, not the bed is made perfectly, like, these kids actually become college kids because they're they're eating together, they're sleeping together, they're going to class together. You know, Monmouth College, I went to class with 15 guys in the physical education department. Um, but our kids, you know, half of our team's mechanical engineers. So we got 55 guys going to class together every day. And in the locker room, there's the, the calc expert, there's the chemistry guy, there's the ones and zero computer science dude, uh, there's the expert in physics and they can have all their questions answered on their homework by going six or seven lockers away from each other. All so your you favorite gotta, classes, Harper. <laughs> oh yeah. I was going to say, you gotta be, you gotta be careful and make sure you don't ever raise your voice to anyone and be super nice because uh, one of those guys are going to be making a lot of money and, and you can go be uh, assistant to the regional manager or something there and, and make millions of dollars for them. That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's really humbling when every single one of your players graduate. And, you know, usually before graduation, they've already signed their contract and they're going to make more than you as a football coach, uh, every one of your seniors every year. And that's awesome. That's an awesome – I'm sure that's just an awesome experience seeing, you know, being able to help them through that and then see them uh, go on to lead, you know, lead what you would assume would be, uh, you know, an unbelievable life with a great career. No, it's, it's awesome. And, and, and some of these kids from this school and, uh, have grown up and there's the, the CEO of Caterpillar is a Rose Holman alum. The CEO of Komatsu, Rod Schrader, was a Rose Holman football uh, Hall of Famer. So uh, some of the leaders of these huge companies in the nation were alumni at our school and, you know, some of them were football players for us. Well, Coach, you know, kind of rolling up now uh, on an hour, but but the thing that I always like to ask guys is, is um, you know, to kind of finish up the, the episode is when you're watching, uh, you know, another team's offensive line, which sounds like you do it, um, you know, weekly, if not daily, uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things that they would be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line, Coach? 
Yeah, no, so this is kind of interesting. So when Brian White, our offensive coordinator, left to go coach at Hampton um, in 2017, kind of Coach Sobel came to me and, and talked to me initially about what we would do with our offensive coordinator position. And I said, we need to go hire um, Dan Watson at Franklin College, who was in our conference, who was a big air raid team. And that year they led the nation in total offense. And they're kind of known as a passing team. I said, that guy ran the ball for 200 and you know some yards on us. And we couldn't get a sack on that guy. So that's where I would start the search. And that ended up being our offensive coordinator and our, and our O-line coach. So I, you know, I think if a guy can block us, and shut us out on tackles for loss and sacks that that guy's a heck of a football coach and I have all the respect you know for those guys and uh, just you know things that I think just being a technician and just nastiness because um, sometimes you know you might not have the most gifted kids in the world in division three uh, but if you got five dudes that are nasty and work together and love each other like you can tell that that offensive line coaches you know had that culture which I, I think is pretty impressive. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.